listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Every once in a while, I like to, uh, for those of you who are newer with us, um, talk just a little bit about what just happened. So uh, Caleb gave our pastoral prayer, and in that, he prayed for another local church. And so um, I want you to know, if, if you haven't been with us very long, that that isn't because we have some uh, special news or uh, gossip to, to share uh, that, that's going on in another local church, but it's so that we could just be praying for other churches, knowing that God is absolutely doing a good work in churches, in uh, this area and around this area, and we support that and we celebrate the work that God is doing, and we pray that he would continue to work in and among gospel-believing churches in this area, uh, that there are other Christians besides us, hopefully, right, that are worshiping the Lord today in spirit and truth, and that they're coming together to, to do that collectively. So um, what, what is a Christian? How do we go about answering that very question? What is a Christian? The, the world has certainly had lots of answers to give us in answering that question this year. That to be a Christian, you, you must involve yourself in social justice issues in particular ways to be a Christian. Or that to be a Christian, you must, maybe you felt this a little bit, you must stay up to date on every cultural event, knowing how to respond to them immediately in just the, way, the right way, perfectly. And in fact, it would do you well if you were to take a picture of it and post it on your Instagram account, all the while wearing a shirt with the appropriate hashtag. That's what you have to do to be a Christian. The world says that a Christian is one who, who votes in a particular way and for these reasons and to do otherwise. Well, are you really a Christian? That to be a Christian, that you have to feel a particular way about the coronavirus and to be fair. Many of us within the local church have thrown our own convictions out there as well. To be a Christian, you must think like me. You must read the same books that I do. You must revere the same theologians that I do. You must read out of the same Bible translation that I do. And while many of these things make for good conversations and they even do us well in the body of Christ, they spur us on to love one another and to do good works for one another. The problem is that and it comes in when we start defining what a Christian is to be without ever looking to the definer for his definition. Do you hear me? When we start saying, what is a Christian, and we start giving the answer to what a Christian is without ever looking to the definer and his very definition. You see, Christianity has at its core the belief that there is a God who created everything around us. Everything that you see created the heavens and the earth, and he made it all very good. He's in control of all things, including you and your life. That's what we believe as Christians. And this God is not only high in the heavens, transcendent above all things. He's also personal, and he desires to have a personal relationship with humanity. He wants us to be able to know him. 
And the way that he has revealed himself to us is by inspiring the writings of men over a period of several thousand years in what we call the Bible. And friends, I'm here to tell you that this is the only source that we have to define what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. This is where the very definer has given us his definition. And in our passage this morning, 1 John chapter 5, if you will turn there with me, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle John is focused on explaining just that. In fact, he's going to give us four identifying marks of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to see in our text that those who believe that Jesus is the Christ love God. They love the brothers. They obey the scriptures and they overcome the world. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The apostle John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For the Christian this morning, I pray that our time would be one of motivation, that you would understand what God has in fact done to make you his very child, that he has given you commandments to obey as his child, and that it is not only our duty to obey his commandments, but if you're a child of God, it is your very delight and that as a child, you've been given faith in Christ Jesus and have, in fact, overcome the world. And for the not unchristian in the room this morning, or if you're gathering with us online, I pray that you would be able to see the, the contrast, the difference between the Christian as the world defines it and how the Bible defines it. And that as you hear about the commandments of God, you would realize how burdensome they are without having his power residing in you, without having his Holy Spirit living inside of you, that you might recognize you have an absolute need for a relationship with our creator God and that you would come to Christ by faith today. So, four identifying marks of those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Again, the first is those who believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, they love God. They love God. Now, we need to make some distinctions here because I told my wife and my children that I love them several times every day this past week. I also said uh, at another time or several times that I love the new steamer that was gifted to me. I, I probably said several times this week that I love the meal that was before me. And perhaps you're a bit more careful with the phrase than I am. Uh, but with all the various ways in which we use it, the question before us when we talk about love and love of God is, is there any difference between the difference uh, in what ways we use that love? I, I also say that I love CeCe's Pizza, and I wish that it were back in McDonough. Anybody with me? One, one, okay, okay, a few. You're willing to admit it, but there are more of you out there, I'm sure of it. 
But, but those are the things that we say we love. We love pizza. We love steamers. We love all kinds of things. Um, look there in verse 1 with me, because I think that there's a distinction that the Apostle John is making when it comes to this love of God. Everyone, he says, who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been, what does it say? Born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. First, we see that the Bible has an answer for us that is first outside of the realm of what we do. Our love is first outside of our actions, but rather it is about who we are. It's an identity marker. Our love for God is first a statement of the family that we belong to. Again, it's an identity marker. It's who we are. And we know that because John keeps appealing to that particular phrase, even in verse 1, that you are born of God. If you love God, you've been born of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you've been born of God. If you love the Father, you've been born of God. And if you love the Father, you love his other children because you have been born of God. Now, how does one go about being born of God? Because that is seemingly the question that we must ask. Can you, can you think of anyone in the scriptures, particularly in the gospels, that has asked such a question? Anybody? Nicodemus. Nicodemus asked Jesus that very question in John chapter 3. So Jesus, talking to the Pharisee, that is Nicodemus, in the middle of the night, responds to a statement that Nicodemus makes, and he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there is something supernatural that needs to take place. So Nicodemus responds in the only way he knew how. How can a man be born again, born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So if you love God, family, it's because of the fact that you have been born of God. And our love for God isn't like our love for other things. It isn't like my love for CCs. It isn't like my love for my newly received steamer. It's a supernatural love. It's a love that is internal. It's a love that has changed us from the inside out. God has given us new life. He has taken our very hearts that had this born with bent towards wickedness and deceitfulness and when our lives were seeking self-glory, and he's given us new hearts, those of us who are in his family, new hearts that love him, that love his children, and that seek after his glory. If you love God, know that it is because, as we saw in the text last week, it's because he loved you first. If you love God, know that it, it is an absolute miracle that you love him. There's no other way to look at it. If you love God, it's because you've been born of God, because the love of God is a supernatural work in our hearts. That's, that's why when we ask 
Um, everyone who is coming um, to be a partner at South Point, uh, we asked for your conversion story. And we aren't necessarily looking in that conversion story for a particular date and time which you can say, hey, I know on this very date in April of 1991 that I was converted to Christ, that I was given a new heart. We're not looking for a particular date, but rather that you can express outwardly Although it may not have looked like you were actually rebelling towards God, you did internally hate him. You wanted your life to be all about you. Now, a date and time is irrelevant if a supernatural work has not taken place in your heart. And without it, there is no loving God supremely in your life. If you don't love God, you haven't been born of him. If you love God, you have been born again. And so I'd ask professing, professing Christian, do you love God? Do you have any affection for the Father? And then the follow-up John keeps throwing at us, if so, you must love his children. So when you hear someone saying, I love God, but I'm not sure about his people, or I love God, but I really don't care about spending any time with his children, or I haven't spent any time, or I don't care to give any energy to the people that God calls his family, you can immediately think about that individual. Something is wrong. Something's going wrong in their heart. Something is wrong in their soul. The love of God, which has changed us from the inside out, causes us not only to love God, but love his children despite their flaws and their shortcomings. And so we not only love God as Christians, but we also, secondly, love the brothers. Now, John brings us to one of the predominant characteristics of loving God, and that is sacrifice. Look there in verse 2 with me. He says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, if you've been with us at any point during our study of 1 John, you've probably heard this before. In fact, if you've been with us throughout our study of 1 John, you've heard this over and over again. God's people love God's children. The people of God love the children of God. If you love God, you will love his children. The Puritans had this saying when they came across a verse that they had already previously studied, they would say that there were further gleanings that they could obtain from this particular crop. And so there are here more gleanings that we can, that we can obtain from this particular crop. There is something for the people of God that we need to hear that John says this yet again. If you love God, you will love his children. And so there are more ways, there must be more ways in which you as a Christian can take and digest this, take it to heart. It's important for us to note, as John Stott says, it's as impossible to, to love the children of God without loving God, as it is to love God without loving his children. You see, God, John, the Apostle John, has interconnected these things so much that there's no untangling them. Our love for God always looks like loving his children and obeying his commandments. Remember, this agape love is always practical. It's always action-oriented. If you say that you love someone, you will certainly respond by acting in a particular way towards them. Now, agape love knows nothing about speech only. 
It's easy to intellectually commit to the sacrificial love of my brothers, to say before you, if I were to take a poll of everyone in this room, uh, hey, do you love the other people in this room? If so, raise your hand. And most of us, if not all of us, would, would raise our hands even if that were true or not true. But agape love, sacrificial love, is more than just an intellectual assent to that very truth. It is action-oriented. It means that if you actually love the people of God that are in this room, if you actually love the brothers and sisters in the family of God, you're going to do something about that with your very life. You see, the love of brothers is going to demand your resources. It's going to demand your time, your energy, your money, And it's going to demand of you giving up that which is not easy or comfortable for you to give up. That's what this type of love is. That's what it means to love the brother. Certainly, the loving your brother, loving your sister may work into your schedule at times. But it doesn't always. Kingdom life doesn't fit although I wish it would, into a neat, tidy little box that has a particular time window on it. Chris's love one another or love the brother hours are from 5 to 6 p.m. Monday and Wednesday nights and on Saturday mornings, but not too early because, you know, not too late because, well, and Sunday afternoons are okay too as long as they're working out perfectly for me and I have nothing else going on. My friends, Jesus came, the scriptures say, at the fullness of time. Jesus came at just the right time. And you know what? That time when Jesus came was when you were in the most need. The scriptures tell us that Jesus came when you were still in sin. He bled and died for you so that you would not and could not experience the wrath that was rightly storing up by a holy God for you. And it should have been poured out on you. And Jesus came as a ransom for your very sin. He took that which you deserved upon himself and he gave you that which you did not deserve, his very righteousness, as we just sang. He came at a great cost to himself. And so think of that as you care for one another in the body of Christ, that the worst time for you is usually the right time for your brother in need. Don't miss that. It doesn't always fit into a nice little tidy box. Oh, how I need that reminder. What would our church look like if the love of God was on display through the loving of one another in a sacrificial way? Not just an intellectual assent, not just at particular times in particular ways, but in every way, a way that means that I myself as a brother in the family of God to you, my my family members in it, that I have to go out of my way, that I have to get out of my comfort zone, that I have to do things that are uncomfortable, that I have to spend my money in ways that I do not know how I'm going to spend it, that I have to use my resources and gifts and abilities that are, that are saying, man, I, I don't know how to do this, but the Lord has commanded it of me. What would our church look like? And before you answer that in terms of how the family of God could love you well through that, answer, how should I? 
knowing the person that I am, knowing the way that the Holy Spirit has gifted me, knowing the abilities and skills that I have. How should I be loving my brothers and sisters differently in this moment? And what does it look like for me as a Christian, young child or senior adult and anybody in between, what does it look like for you as a Christian to be sacrificially using your time, energy, and resources to love the brothers? Because that is what John is communicating when he says we should love the brothers. What are the areas in my life that need to be viewed differently or given less of my time so that the family that I've been saved into would be built up? We've gotten two of the identifying marks of a Christian, that they love, the, that they love God, that they love the brothers. And third, we see that Christians obey the scriptures. We obey the scriptures. Pastor Mark often says that if we would just ask and answer for ourselves this one particular question, we would flourish in our marriages, in our relationships, in our decision-making, you name it. And the question is this, what does God's word say about this? What does the Bible have to say about the decision or relationship or whatever it is before me? John says it like this. Look there in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You see, those that love God have this burning desire, an internal desire because God has birthed it in them to do what he says. We should be, as the people of God, constantly asking ourselves, what does God's word say about this? If you find yourself frustrated about the events that are going on in your life, if you find yourself frustrated about a relationship that you are in, ask yourself first, What does God's word have to say about this? What if we, as the people of God, submitted ourselves first to what the definer tells us? The culture is telling us what to do. My news feed is telling me what to do. My best friend is telling me what to do. The girls at work are telling you what you should do. So many voices to listen to that we often forget or ignore or disobey the one that matters the most. Do you love God? John says, then you'll do what he says. You'll obey his words. You'll obey his commandments. So when God's word says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, How are you to respond, husbands? You're to give yourself sacrificially, not as you think that that should be applied at every given scenario, but as God does, literally laying down your life for the sake of your wife, lifting her up, caring for her, washing her in the water of the word, the scripture says, forgiving her, asking for her forgiveness when you wrong her. When God's word says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, how are you to respond? And it means that you're to respect your husband, wife, even when you feel as though he deserves absolutely no respect, unless he's asking you to sin. You give him opportunities to lead. You build him up in private and in public. And when God's word says, children, obey your parents, how are you to respond, children? It means you're to respond by doing what mom and dad says unless they are demanding that you sin. 
because they know what is best for you. They have good desires for you. They have, and they want you to have a better life than they did. If you have Christians' parent, if you have Christian parents, they have a desire for you to love God for yourself and flourish in relationship with him and with others. And we've covered all of this in 1 John. Perhaps none of this is new to you already. If you love God, you're going to obey his commands. But John concludes verse 3 with something that he hasn't yet said. For this is the love of God, look there in the text with me again, that we keep his commandments. And he goes on to say, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, this is what is so unique to the Christian position. To the child that has not been yet given a new heart, obedience to mom and dad is extremely difficult. Even if you have been given a new heart, it is still difficult but we'll explain that in just a moment. Sacrificing for your wife when she doesn't deserve it is impossible to the unregenerate man. Respecting your husband when you think that he hasn't done anything all day for the woman who knows not the very love of God is not going to happen. But remember, those in the family of God, what have we experienced? We've had a change of heart. We've been given a new nature that is internal. We've experienced a new birth. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, the scripture says. The child of God loves God and his people. And now we see that they love to obey his commands. And not only that, they're light. They no longer feel like a weight. Once what once felt like duty is now a sheer delight for the Christian. You realize that since you are no longer living with yourself as king and master, but rather God is your master, and now you're free to serve others, and that any glory that comes of it can go to God. In fact, God deserves every bit of the glory that we receive from serving others and our obedience to his commandments. Those who love God can identify with those in the Psalms who are able to say, I'm gonna list off some Psalms. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night, Psalm 1. I delight to do your will, the psalmist says. My God, your instruction lives within me, Psalm 40. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches, Psalm 119. Trouble and distress have overtaken me, but your commandments are my delight. Again, Psalm 119. And there again, I delight in your commands, which I love. And while the commandments of God are seen to be beautiful and as a delight to the Christian, it's not just their essence and their character that make them unburdensome. It's that we have been given by the Spirit the ability to keep them. Christian, you've been given a new nature by the Spirit. That means that you value different things now that you love differently, that you treasure things that are different and no longer found in this world. You have an, a heavenly master who is a joy to serve. Brothers and sisters, do you obey the scriptures? When you hear God's word, are you quick to obey? 
When you read God's word, and may this be an encouragement for you to do so, are you quick to see areas in your life which are not aligning with God's word? May we be quick to ask the question, what does God's word say about this? And brother and sister, if this isn't on your radar, you're missing out, as John starts his, this letter with, on full and complete joy that is yours in Christ Jesus and that should be yours in Christ Jesus. What does God's word say about this? The identifying marks of a Christian are that they love God, that they love the brothers, they obey the scriptures, and finally, that they overcome the world. Verse four in the text. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You see, John gets back to Christian identity. Everyone that has been born of God has this true about them as well, that they have overcome the world. John's taking us back to what he wrote in chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world, as one commentator put it, gathers up the sum of all the limited transitory powers opposed to God, which make obedience very difficult. We've seen in 1 John what some of those powers are. In chapter 2, John writes to those who are struggling with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all kinds of moral pressures. Elsewhere, we've seen that there are those who are infiltrating the church with heresies, some saying that Jesus Christ has not indeed come in the flesh and that he cares about how we live, and we've seen the pressures of the world come in the form of persecution. However we may face the world, whether it's just like those who John wrote this original letter to, however we may face it, whatever that may look like in your life and mine, and in the life of our church family, John says to us, the Christian, that the victory is ours. We have victory over those things because God has given us a faith that is not dependent on what happens in this world. It's not a faith that is dependent on circumstances working out in our very favor. It's not dependent on relationships going the way that we expected, to them, uh, to, expected them to go when the relationship began. What, what the way the world says to think today but they're dependent on something much more steady and sure, the work of redemption that is found in Christ Jesus and what he accomplished for the Christian on the cross. So as you fight sin, as you deal with the painful realities of sin in this world, Christian, remember that that is no small thing. You shouldn't want to do that. You shouldn't be able to do that. Do you want to fight sin? Do you want to deal with the things that come with the realities of a fallen world? It's because you've been born of God. Take that as a note and reminder of the assurance of the salvation that God has given you, that you have in fact been born of God. Can you deal with those things in your life? It's because you have an overcoming nature given to you by God, that is faith. The new birth is supernatural. The faith that we are given is an overcoming faith. If it weren't, then I have some dilemmas for you to solve. And I just want to name a few real-life dilemmas that I've occurred and encountered this week. A son in our church is dealing with the pain of his father being isolated from everyone in a hospital, and he's grasping for life. 
And he, he and his wife say to me on the phone this week, we know that the Lord is sovereign and we trust in him. If the new birth isn't supernatural, then we have a dilemma when um, others in my life group would literally offer their time and resources to help me dig up a, a huge trench in my yard because my sewer line is eroded. It's rotted. If the new birth isn't supernatural, why in the world would a young couple in our church this weekend, who could be using every bit of free time for themselves, decide that they would be better used, that their time would be better used in the kingdom of God to help another foster family in our community give respite to a three-year-old girl. If the new birth is not supernatural, how in the world could another young couple in our church who, who lost their baby to an ectopic pregnancy this week say, with the resolve of the three friends approaching the fiery furnace, even if we don't experience deliver us, we won't bow down to the idols of this world. You see, my friends, the new birth is a supernatural birth. It's not something that any of us could muster up. It's something that God has birthed in us. And because of it, we love him. We love his children and we obey his word. And not only that, we've overcome the world. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the Lord has done something unique and supernatural in the lives of the individuals that I just talked about, the lives of individuals that make up this very church family. You don't get that kind of resolve and desire to love others from yourself, I promise you. It's not anything that you can pull up and conjure up yourself. If anything, we love with an unregenerate heart for ourselves only to make ourselves look good so that others would see us and praise us so that we would receive all the glory, the regenerate heart, that which has been changed by God and has been given a new spirit says, I love others because God has first loved me. We want to preserve ourselves according to the flesh. The man and woman who loves God, though, has overcome the world. They have faith to withstand the enemy's fiery darts. They have faith to endure the Lord's sanctifying tests. And they will stand, you will stand, in Christ, family members in the family of God, as victors on the last day. John concludes this paragraph with an answered question. Who is it? that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God have been born of God and have overcome the world. And so this must turn extremely practical for us as, as we close. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If so, you love God. You love the brothers. You obey his commands and you've overcome the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as your children here this morning, we're reminded 
of the state in which you found us in. That in our nature, as we were born, we hated you, we rebelled from you, and we were quite in need, although we didn't know it, and we didn't realize, and we didn't want to know it. And yet, you sent your son, Christ Jesus, as our redeemer when we were most in need of help. And he came to save us. He came to take on the punishment that we deserve to spend eternity in hell for. He took on your very wrath so that we would not have to and instead gave us his very righteousness so that we could be in right standing before you, a holy God. And Father, you sent us your Holy Spirit to give us a new heart, to regenerate us, to take us from death into life so that we could love you so that we would have this tremendous desire to go out of our way to offer sacrificial love to our brothers. And that in that, we would be obeying your very commands. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us so that those commands are no longer burdensome, but they are now a delight to us, your children. Father, help us to put those sinful desires that still rear their heads in our everyday lives to death so that we might continue to walk in the way that you have for us, that we would love the brothers, that we would obey your word. And Father, thank you for our new identity that we have in Christ overcome the world. We've overcome sin, in our new nature. We will one day experience what it is like to overcome that fully and finally. And we thank you that we could go and live lives as a result of this overcoming. God, we thank you for making us new, helping us, empowering us to live lives as your children in a dark world. God, I pray for the individual or individuals here this morning that have found themselves sitting here and as they hear the scriptures, they know that your commands are quite burdensome, that there is absolutely no way that they would give up their time or resources to follow anything that you have to say. In fact, they have no desire to do that. God, I pray that you might, by your spirit, Draw them to yourself. If they feel uh, some sort of conviction this morning, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has done that and we pray that you might give them a new heart, that they too might know what it is like to love you, to love your children, to obey your word, and to overcome the world. It's in Christ Jesus' name.